0: Welcome to Below the Line, where we talk about working in Hollywood from the crew perspective. My name is Skid. I'm a former assistant director and your host. Our Oscar coverage continues through our final week. You can listen to these episodes in any order, but if you want to complete the set before the ceremony, pace yourself. There are 10 total. Today, we're talking about editing. Both of my guests are returning from last year, and it's great to see them again. Josh Gittleson, you were an L.A.-based editor. Now you're a lawyer. Welcome back. Thank you. Also returning is Christopher Angel, Hollywood writer, director, and editor. Christopher, always a pleasure. Thanks, good, good to be here. You know, guys, let's get right into this. Spoiler warning in effect for our listeners. First up in alphabetical order, the father, editor Yorgos Yamprinos. And I'm probably making a mess of that name.
1: I'm glad you tried that and not me.
0: What do you guys think of the father?
1: Sure, I'm going to be a little contrarian to start off with. Um, and I think there's a couple issues like just in general about this category this year, which are interesting to talk about. And one that I want to talk about and the father really brings it up is how do you separate the contribution of an editor from the other categories? So, you know, I'm, I'm trying to approach this from the point of view of an editor and thinking about people voting in this particular category and saying like, what's the best editing of the year? And the issue for me with the father that I sort of distracted me in a sense was what was the writing, what was the directing and what was the editing. And so I will spoil part of the movie, but, you know, there's this uh, great reveal that things are not as they seem and that the main character Anthony Hopkins plays is suffering from dementia and we can't really tell what's true reality and what's his perception of it. But I feel like partly because I knew it was a play and then just sort of uh, going through it, it felt that it had to be so carefully scripted that I was personally discounting a little bit some of the editorial choices that the editor got to make or did make. It, just, it felt like that had to have sort of been baked into the script and the performance. So I sort of, um, it made it a little problematic for me trying to figure out like, how, how do I judge the editing of this movie? Josh, what do you think?
2: I, I agree with you. Uh, in terms of separating the directing from the writing, I feel like so much of what makes this movie well, kind of magical from a, a viewer point of view, not to sort of mischaracterize what it's about, is that experience of putting the viewer in the position of the, the person who is suffering from dementia and doing that in a surprising way. And yes, you're absolutely right. It was a play first. Obviously, there was a lot of thought that went into the writing twice and all of those moments where, you know, there's like essentially a reveal of where the, the audience experiences disorientation, um, you have to imagine that that was all thought out pretty uh, rigorously. And yet, to play the contrary, and I think it's possible to, notwithstanding the work that clearly went into the writing and the directing, get down to you know, really specific questions about how do we get into this particular moment of disorientation, or how do we set up on a shot-by-shot level this reveal that everything is not what it seems. Uh, And I think, for me, uh, this uh, movie really did a great job of putting me in that space of, like, you know, what the hell is going on? And while I agree that it's difficult, if not impossible, to separate cleanly the writing and the directing, I do give the editing uh, credit for actually making it happen and making it work.
1: And I I agree on that level. And I think that I think four of the five movies this year all share something really interesting. Um, And it, it makes it hard to sort of differentiate which one is like the best editing, but they are all very subjective except for with one exception, which we'll get to later. But I feel like four of them are super subjective and sort of bring you inside the character's point of view. And that is really, you know, I mean, obviously there's cinematography directing and writing, but the editor has to execute that as you point out. Um, and in this movie one thing I really remember loving was point of view that obviously um, Yorgos was great at allowing the performances to to really be so strong. I mean, it was very good at choosing what takes and how the performances worked. But there are these point of view shots, like particularly the ones out the window. Do you remember when Anthony Holmes started looking out the window? Mm-hmm. And it just, it was so interesting to me because like you were so claustrophobic and he was, it was so confusing, like which space was he really in. And then suddenly there was this like external thing that could have been objective, but it was all done from his point of view. So you never knew like what was going to show up in it. And it was just very skillfully done. Like when he broke out of the claustrophobia and yet like it was exterior, but it still kept it feeling claustrophobically subjective to me, which was neat.
0: Christopher, I want to follow up to the point that uh, you brought up and then Josh added some notes on. I didn't watch it for editing. I guess I could see it going either way. One, where people are taken by the movie and therefore give more credit to the editing than it it carries. Or, but I think Josh was sort of saying that if the editing hadn't been done exactly right, it actually could have, toppled the entire experience it wasn't showy in sort of a look at the editing kind of way but it was critical to actually deliver this
1: i think that's that's correct i mean i, I think another way i was looking at these movies and just thinking about the category in general it was like how on earth could you have a movie that was nominated for best editing that wasn't also nominated for best picture and vice versa right so that you notice the editing when it doesn't work right if something is not feeling right if the rhythm's off the pacing off the performances are off that is the responsibility of the editor have gotten that all right. So when a movie is really working on all levels, the editor is crucial to that. That's why we're here talking about it. I think why Josh and I like editing so much is that it relies on those other arts, but it, it also needs to understand those other arts and bring out the best of them, right? You're helping the actors with the performance by choosing the take. You are sometimes cutting out lines where you don't need them. Um, sometimes adding sounds in and post, I mean, you're really touching all the various arts, you know, choosing the best take for cinematography, figuring out how points of view work, how structure works. So, I mean, this is why I love editing, Um, but it is tricky, you know, when we're talking about one category, like if you remember last year, Ford v Ferrari ended up winning the category. And we talked at the time, like it was the most showy edited film. And so it won the category, but you're absolutely right. Like there is some real skill in this movie. I just think as a category, it might be harder for people to understand how the editing sort of stands out on the father, even though obviously it's, it's really well integrated with everything
2: else. And I, I just want to add another um, uh, perspective, which is that, you know, talking about showy editing, which is, I think what, I don't know, people sometimes even editors think about when, you know, they're handing out sort of notices, nominations, awards for editing is even like how many cuts are there and and you know propulsive pacing and all these things that are typically associated with really fast movies frequently in those movies you've got they're storyboarded to the you know to whatever <laughs> they're they're heavily storyboarded and which is not to say that it's not editing and, and oftentimes the editor is involved in the storyboarding process, but it's not just the editor who is deciding, you know, what's going to be shown when, and it never is anyway, only the editor's decision, of course. But uh, I mean, some of my favorite sequences in some of my favorite, like, I, when I think of movies that I love that are just extraordinarily edited, one of the first that always comes to mind is the matrix just an astonishing movie on in its own right and so well put together. But you know that so many of those sequences, they kind of had a good sense of what it was probably going to look like before the first frame of film was shot. And I don't want to overstate that, but it's just to say that where you're handing out awards for editing, it isn't just the editor sitting at uh, now a computer making decisions about the shot these decisions are made uh, potentially throughout the, the production process
0: i want to hear what you guys have to say about the other films but i will say on the father this might be one where i think it's a great movie and i'm glad to see it recognized but maybe the nomination is recognition enough
1: that sounds really fair yeah
0: next up is no land editor chloe Zhao, who it's worth noting is also the director of the film
1: yeah, this really gets at my previous point about like, wow, how do you separate writing from directing from editing? And this, and this is a great example on so many levels. I mean, even if she wasn't also the editor, it's just, um, I mean, it's, it's I, again, really enjoyed the movie and I'm glad it's here again. It's very, you know, elegiac. There's these very long takes. And so again, it's the opposite of what, you know, Josh describes as those like showy, fast-paced edited movies. This one really breathes um, and yet, you know, the rhythm and the pacing of the movie overall feels right to me. I mean, as, as an experience, you're brought in subjectively again to the main character's point of view and to their life. Um, and I feel like it, it showed me sort of her life and brought me in in a way that was really effective. So, you know, how to pick the editing apart from the directing, a little tricky here, both just on a technical level and just knowing that she also directed it. But obviously, like picked the best takes, knew when to cut. There were moments where she, you know she cut into close-ups, and those were super effective in contrast. Um, but very different than what you might typically imagine. Something nominated in this category just because of the longer takes and the and the wide shots and sort of
2: mise en scene. Absolutely, and I I was reading a review of uh, this after I saw it, and the writer said something which struck me as like, well of course that must be true and it really gets kind of the negative space so to speak of editing which is that i have to imagine that there was a mountain of footage that she had to um, condense into you know what well, is not a short movie but as uh, chris said is a beautifully paced coherent film and I, what what's what's really special to me about this film is that it's kind of a fictional documentary hybrid. And, you know, I want to shout out to the documentary editors of the world who are criminally overlooked when it comes to the editing categories, because in terms of like volume of material and the difficulty of having to actually write the film as you're assembling it, there is no comparison. I mean, I don't think it disparages the craft of uh, editors of fictional narratives to say that having a script to work with (laughs) is a fucking cheat. I mean, it it certainly frees you up to, to kind of create or induce complexity in other areas. But I guess all of this is to say is that I can't imagine how Chloe Zhao had in mind an image of what this final film would have looked like as she went into shooting. And yet somehow, you know, she manages to construct this fictional narrative that is, you know, as Chris said, deliberately paced. I thought it was a beautiful film and wrap it around kind of a documentary about these people living their lives on the road. And I I don't have a clear sense of how you do that without an enormous leap of faith that it's somehow all going to come together in the editing room and then actually putting it together out of, you know, this mountain of footage, because look, these are non-actors that she's dealing with uh, in many cases talking about themselves and living in their lives. And and yes, it's not typically what people think of uh, when they talk about editing, you know, being flashy or propulsive or dynamic. But in terms of storytelling achievement for me, I feel like the editing and its relation to the whole here is crucial and just of the highest caliber. And the other
1: thing I would add,
2: Josh, just as an
1: extra difficult factor here is as a director and then the editor, how do you have objectivity, right? Like I'm saying I've directed and I've edited, but I have never done them together and on purpose. Like it's so difficult to separate yourself as the director from what happened on set that day, right? So you get emotionally tied up and what you were trying to go for on that day and then what actually happened and all the noise that you don't see, you know, when the camera cuts and you know, the sun was going down. I was trying to get my shot and I couldn't get it. So you just get frustrated because it didn't turn out the way I wanted. So that's the subjective experience as a director. When you get in the editing room, it's really nice to be able to separate and have an editor you can have a conversation with and dialogue with who says like, I know it's not the way you vision the shot but what if we use it this way? And so to have the ability to separate yourself and Josh as you're describing, right? Like she must've had tons of footage to go through, but to like start picking out the best parts and probably rearrange stuff and like figure out how time flows in this movie, like all that stuff is really hard to do as an editor. The best of times, but if you've also directed it, just really amazing that she managed to pull this off. And it's,
2: it's funny so you effective. should mention that one of the um, uh, interesting sound bites that I remember from being an editor. What one of my producers once told me, which I can say is is valid now that I'm an attorney. Uh, <laughs> We happened to be working on a law TV show and he said, just as an accused person who represents himself as his own attorney has a fool for a client, he said a director who edits his or her own film has a fool, is a fool for a whatever director, you get the picture, but yeah, I I think you're absolutely right.
0: But, gentlemen, I want to follow up on something that Josh said. Josh, when when you talked about the challenges of editing a documentary, I want to put out a hypothesis that I could see that with documentaries, I'm wondering if you have a lot of directors who are editing those films themselves, because they were there for everything. And that, that vision carrying over into editing will help with that process of dealing with the reels and reels of footage that you have to go through. I haven't actually checked and maybe you guys know that that's true or not true as a general rule of documentaries. Or what are your thoughts about that being a valuable point of view to bring into the edit bay?
2: Having edited nonfiction sounds like you know, you're know you making a good point. Having watched lots of documentaries and just looking at the credits, it's absolutely true. I mean, it is so common not you know universal by any means to have the director at least significantly involved as one of the principal editors uh, who's credited on a on a, a nonfiction film.
1: So I've, I've I mean I've edited a lot of nonfiction over my career and I've actually not found that to be the case at all. That in my experience in nonfiction the role of a director is really quite different. And Josh is kind of something you mentioned earlier, which is that the editor nonfiction is often writing. A story and structuring it. And so I've been in situations where I've worked with a director in the editing room, but they, again, are often looking for you to be kind of like a story writer editor where you're structuring the material and kind of trying to write it and make sure it has a point of view. And, and typically just, again, because there's so much footage, I haven't found that many directors who want to also try to do that. They, again, rely, in my experience, rely on the editors to bring some objectivity to it all into some structure. Hmm. There's also more teams in edit like in documentary editing, right? So you'll you'll be more likely to have people dividing it up into four parts. Again, the director will oversee it, but there's just so much footage and so much work to be done that you'll need four or five editors working.
0: Another explanation for what you might have seen in the credits, Josh, might be uh, budgetary concerns on some of those documentary films where given that they're on a shoestring budget to begin with, the director just rolls into editing with the sort of creating that final product versus what I think, Christopher, you're talking about a more organized approach to.
1: Yeah, stuff I've done is a lot, you know, Discovery Channel and Food Network and just probably slightly bigger budget
0: documentaries as nonfiction goes. All right, we'll move on to the third film on our list, Promising Young Woman, editor Frederic Thoraval.
2: So I got to come clean... (laughs) and say that I was not among Promising Young Woman's biggest fans, and in casual conversation with people who are willing to listen to me, I've been quite passionate about how negatively I responded to it, and it it really, honestly, is more about how me reacting to the rest of the world, seeing it in a much more positive light than I did. And I bring all this up because I'm not here going to get on my soapbox about why I didn't appreciate this movie as some other did others did but because i i want that at least to be in the background as you know i say that you know this was a a, a fine edited movie i mean and, and on the level of below the line craft it, it has anything everything going for it i mean i don't think the, the bones were there but where i will get on a little bit of a soapbox is to call bullshit on the fact that there is always a mere handful of films that are recognized each year in awards proceeding such as these and in categories like editing. And there's this implausible correlation between the titles that show up on the below the line categories and the above the line categories. I mean, look again, it's not that I think for, for my, you know, other opinions about the film that promising young woman is a poorly edited film. It's not, but does this film show up in this category as opposed to any number of really well edited films from last year? Like I loved the role that editing played in Palm Springs. I thought Invisible Man was terrific, you know, and is is it really Promising Young Woman better edited than those films? Um, Or is it just that there's this general sense that Promising Young Woman overall is kind of more noteworthy? I, I don't know. I just, I sometimes get frustrated at the role of general buzz um, and how that elevates films that are solid, well-edited, but aren't necessarily, in my opinion, the best edited films of the year to the top, simply because they they excel in, in, in more visible categories. So bottom line, didn't care for Promising Young Woman, fine edited film, wouldn't be my choice for the award. But- there you go. <laughs>
1: well, I'm glad you said he liked the editing because I have to come clean myself. <laughs> and um, I'm so I'm good friends with the editor of this movie, Fred. He's, he's fantastic. I would hire him in a heartbeat to edit my film. Um, he's, just, he's an incredibly dedicated, talented guy. I mean, I enjoy talking to him about film the same way that we're talking about it right now. So I've had plenty of these conversations over the years with him. Um, so I'm thrilled that he was nominated. I know how hard he worked. And then I actually also happened... If I, I, I mean, I'm biased, so I'm just going to say that straight up front, but I happen to really like the editing of this movie as well. And I can go into a fair amount of detail probably about what I think works and what I like and why I think it was nominated in the category. So, you know, for me, like there's there's two things about this movie that stand out and that I enjoy it. And Josh, you have probably heard some of these before, but the first one is the ability of the movie to dip into different genres and tones. And that's something that I, you know, personally as a director, I've always, I love doing. I like combining like horror and romantic comedy, for example, as you may know from some of my previous work or satire and like a dark thriller, right? So this is something that I've sort of spent a lot of time trying to work on myself as a filmmaker. And I feel like this movie pulls it off just so well that like when the tone shifts from like a horror movie to a thriller and then to like the satire, like it's done seamlessly and it's it's sort of like all things firing together but you know the editor making that all work and tie together and then i think the other thing is just the the internal pacing of how that happens is is masterfully done so if you think about some of those scenes where the main character does a turn like let's say the conversation she has with the dean of the law school right so she starts playing one character and it's it's a sort of serious conversation you think it's going one direction or she's you know sort of being like she's pretending to be somebody she isn't and then it takes this turn where she reveals that she was actually there before and that these horrible things happen and the dean just ignored it and stepped under the rug like the way in which that scene unfolds to me is just amazingly done because it feels real and it's paced properly um, and it's just two people in a room it's very difficult to pull off and have that tone change and make the pacing work so so, so taking, like you take the parts and then the whole, like it, it all works. And it's sort of improbable to me that you could add all these genres together and have these twists and turns and it. it would actually work as a movie. So that's that's kind of what I like about it.
2: So since you're now disagreeing with me and I feel like I have to like step up and kind <laughs> of, I agree with everything that you said, except the fact that for this movie, the genre mixing works. In fact, it's one of the things that left me most cold was when that works it like creates this new never before seen experience i was thinking for example i was talking the other night to my daughter about who's who's in seventh grade about the movie eighth grade which has that kind of you know you you're never really sure what kind of movie you're watching, and yet in the end, for me, that all works. I didn't find that for this movie, and I don't want to get into specifics because we're talking about editing, but I guess where I responded less well to what Chris has brought up as a quality of the editing was that the genre mash for me was was not here successful, and and I I don't like bad-mouthing anyone or anything but uh chris i disagree with you <laughs> <laughs> the other thing i like to disagree with you is the point of view
1: again and this gets back to that this bigger theme of the year for me which is subjectivity right so like the male gaze like if you think about those club scenes sort of like how, uh, you know, women are treated or commoditized in this sort of environment of a club or picked up. And just like the way, again, that that was structured visually, I really found interesting because it it sort of brought me to, to just a slightly different understanding of what it's like to be in that club. And yet she had this power that she was sort of exerting um, so again, thinking about the editing of those sequences was, was really neat. It was like showing both how male gaze was working and then also what she was trying to do. And again, like there are these turns in those scenes where it sort of like blew the whole thing up. And you're like, oh, so I think I think, Josh, for me, like there's, some of those surprises in there are just really fun. And it's the sort of same thing with eighth grade. It's just like there were twists and turns in that I just didn't totally expect. And some of it was craft and some of it was writing. Um, but I could totally see if like, if they weren't working for you, it's not that much fun anymore. But um, so I understand that one.
0: This is a film where I think I can enjoy both of your points of view. I'm somewhere in the middle where I enjoyed the film, but it's not in my top 10 for the year. And so um, yeah, disagree all you want guys. That's both sides of this argument are, are interesting to me.
2: And again, just, just to be clear, I am not saying that this is an emphatically bad movie. (laughs) I'm simply saying that my response to it was way below what I thought it it, it, or what what it's been getting the rest of the world. I just I just didn't think it was a fantastic movie and you know, my ego gets in the way. And so I start overreacting to my own lack of response by saying, what the hell does everyone else see in this? Anyway, so
1: (laughs) one thing I'll add to just that because I know it and this one, again, this is my sort of my bias. It's just sort of some of the interesting behind the scenes stuff. Like they shot this movie in 23 days. I think that's right. It it was fast, it was super fast for a movie. And so for it to like come together and work for a bunch of people and then get nominated, like again, to me is like an extra kind of interesting thing, especially, you know, and and I think this year's movies, it's interesting to think about um, because, you know, there was was an article I read recently, it was in the LA Times or somewhere, but like a lot of people haven't seen these movies or they're not well known, right? So we're living through a weird pandemic year where people generally United States haven't been going to movie theaters and they haven't been available. So we're watching stuff streaming and sort of shared experience of watching movies is a little bit gone, but we do talk on Zoom and we you know, try to watch the movies and talk about them. But the movies being nominated are not yet widely seen by the movie going public. Like things are very balkanized and broken up. And so it's, it's kind of opened it up for some unusual movies, I think, smaller movies to get nominated, this and a couple of the other ones, um, which I actually think is really great. So I'm hoping also it'll bring new viewers to see them. I don't know if the editing category will do it on its own, but best picture and with editing and the other categories. Um, so that's kind of interesting. And this year's a little, little bit unusual in that way, which is fun. The other thing too, that I, I would just like to talk about this movie and I think comes up in some of the other ones is music, right? So this is an interesting issue for the editing, right? So it's like how much of music and sound design can win credit to editing and how much is should be credit to the sound department and or to the writing necessarily, or the director, because again, it's like all these things are going together. Like the director probably has some ideas about music and source cues, I'm thinking again in the clubs and the, in this movie specifically, like, and there's some sort of poppy cues that are used ironically. So you know again, like maybe the director chooses them, but it, it is responsible for the editor to integrate them and to cut to that rhythm and then to make that sound design work throughout. And I, I think for what I remember about The Father, like there was almost no music in that movie. If I, It certainly felt like there wasn't much score that as I was watching it, I think that's correct. So much more minimalist, and it, it made sense for that character's point of view. Here, music really was almost like its own character, right? It was like adding to the tone.
2: There was a lot of source opera in, in The Father.
1: Yeah, source, right, exactly, which had its own thing, but I don't remember much score, like it felt. Really quiet. Otherwise, and Nomadland too felt very quiet. So, um, just you know, interesting. Like again, like I know from the process just for people to know. Like you know, when we're when we're editing, like there are these cues. Sometimes they're written into the script, or we're told by the director, like try this this piece of source music. But a lot of that stuff we're temping, right? We're using other music that we know and like, or it could be from the actual composer that's going to score this this movie. But while we're editing, we're editing to temp music a lot of the time, just to give it the right feel. So there is, there is really a lot of decision making that editors make over how much music gets in there. And there's there's a spotting session that will be done with the director, but the editor is involved as well, with sort of deciding that. So I think some interesting processes with how to use music and very different examples here.
0: Before we move on, Josh, I want to um, express some empathy to what you're going through on this movie. Not Like I said, it's not my feelings on this one, but I do call that the Forrest Gump effect where... When I first saw Forrest Gump, I just kind of liked it and said this is an okay movie, but then as more and more people started saying it was the best movie ever, I started to actively dislike the film. like it was <laughs> driven by public opinion rather than the movie itself and so I'm empathetic and uh, sympathetic because it's a tough spot to be, Josh. I hope uh, I hope you don't suffer too much
2: I've definitely been channeling my inner teenager just kind of <laughs> digging in my heels and saying, "I will not like this film <laughs>
0: Well, the next film on our list is one of my favorites from the year, and that is Sound of Metal, editor Mikkel E.G. Nielsen.
2: So I want to echo your, in my opinion, entirely correct assessment. This was one of my favorite movies of the year. I loved it, like everything about it. I hope, uh, and this may telegraph what I'm going to say about the editing, I hope it at least wins. The sound award, though it's not my expertise, because it seems like as an amateur that the role sound plays in this movie is just so incredible. I mean, and it doesn't often get to do that. And I hope it gets some recognition for that. What's interesting, though, is I was thinking back about these movies and again, you know, referring going to get off the dead horse back to Promising Young Woman, I thought the editing was fine. The reason I wouldn't vote for it is not because I didn't like the movie, but because I didn't think the editing was as central to the telling of that story as, for example, Nomadland or, or, or in, in my opinion, The Father. And similarly, I love The Sound of Metal, but I was thinking back on it and I was like, okay, so what what about the editing was especially contribute to that and this is this is way overstating the case because of course the editing had to have been crucial for the movie to have been as successful as it was but i thought back and i was like yeah it was on it it was it was part of the whole um package but yet it didn't rise up for me uh as a couple of the other movies in this as it does for a couple other movies in this category as being one of the absolutely crucial pieces of this movie that made it what it is. So, you know, again, I, I return to my plea here, prompted by a movie that I absolutely love, that maybe, hopefully, someday there is a wider net that's cast uh, for these below the line categories that you know, maybe brings in films that, as Chris mentioned, aren't going to get seen otherwise or sort of spreads the wealth of of recognition around. Look, I think it's it's a great film. I, I, I loved everything about it, but it wouldn't get my vote among these five for the top spot because I just don't see the editing as quite being the crucial piece that, for example, sound was interesting
1: yeah i'll agree to disagree <laughs> that's okay and also, I also yeah and
0: i also put in a quick plug here that josh you clearly have not listened to our episode about sound yet but you should go back and check it out because those guys have some commentary on that i think you'll enjoy
1: oh cool oh cool i'm gonna do that too so um so i agree i mean this movie just it it worked on so many great levels right and riz Ahmed is so amazing and it's a, it's a great concept so like it's it's a i also really enjoyed watching this movie and thought it was great um, I also, you know, I didn't I didn't watch the only movie I watched before I knew I was doing this podcast was Nomadland. So I experienced Nomadland without really thinking about the editing. The other ones I watched really trying to pay attention to how they were edited, which was a fun experience. I actually really think, Josh, that the editing was crucial to this one. And I'll tell you, it's like I, I kind of sum it up almost in one sentence, but the decisions about when things would be subjective versus objective was very uh nuanced and very effective. And yeah, there's a sound design element to them as well, which added to them, but there was a, a editorial decision about when you were going to be inside his head and sharing his experience of being deaf. And then when you cut to an objective point of view and super hard to do as an editor to, to you know, like structure that stuff and understand how that's going to work and play with an audience. But it was incredibly effective. It was obviously very controlled. Um, like you think about the ending of the movie, right? So he's are walking in Paris and there's moments where you're inside his head and experiencing what it sounds like with the cochlear implants and then we're hearing what the sounds are really like and then he turns off the cochlear implants and what that's like the silence of it I mean it's just like the structure the editorial structure of that sequence is just amazing um and and there's a a number of really powerful edits frankly just to me propelled the story along like it didn't feel like an overly cutty movie which is great but if you remember like it's probably my favorite edit of the year if you remember back the doctor early on the doctor says like okay you're losing your hearing and you have to be really careful and whatever you do don't like let's try to preserve what you've got before we do anything else and it smash cuts to him drumming and that uh, performing and it's just like obviously like it's just so goddamn loud and it's like you're just like it's he's losing every last bit of hearing that he's got And that's just the power of that. Like you just, you feel for the character and you understand why he did it, but it's just such a painful scene. The power of that is through editing and the contrast from scene to scene and like, you know, decision to cut like on a line. It's just whole thing just very well done. So I thought that the editing actually really stood out sort of trying to watch the movie and and made it work. And if it hadn't been done this way it wouldn't have worked in my opinion.
2: I'm I'm not gonna argue over trying to denigrate parts of a film that I absolutely loved uh, <laughs> because it would be kind of dishonest. I, I will say, however, um, not about this film, but um, the opposite of Chris's experience of having watched four of the five after the nominations came out. The only film that I saw of these five after the nominations came out was the father, because it was the only one that was kind of available to the public via streaming and, um, uh, well, it, it was the latest one. The other four I saw months ago because I try and see these things if they're getting buzz, I try and see them as soon as possible so look i'm I'm coming to this from the perspective of you know for four out of the five, with the exception of the father. I saw them a long time ago, so i'm I'm perfectly happy to concede the point that that the sound of metal was 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 brilliantly edited. but I will not concede about <laughs> promising young woman being a great film. <laughs> And you don't have to, it's the beauty
1: of like, again, like subjectivity in these movies is, you know it's part of the deal and it's when you watch them and why you watch them changes things. And I I find that really interesting. Uh, And that, you know, this psychology too, of people like people voting in the category, like members of the Academy, right? So who are those people and why are they voting the way they are? Like, so it's just keep that in mind. I think to Josh's point, like there's other deserving movies out there. We had to be talking about these because they're kind of artificially put in front of us interesting bunch of movies this year so it's not so
0: bad. Christopher I'm glad you were here this year because I didn't want to side with Josh on this one and I'm happy you pointed out what is amazing about the other scene in the film that I <laughs> really like on this one as well. Uh, Josh glad we're not uh, going to chase you off of your opinion on the other film though. We've got one more film on our list The Trial of the Chicago 7 editor is Alan Baumgarten.
1: This to me like so this is the one that stands out as being different than the others to me. Um, from an editing point of view right so I talked about the subjectivity of the movies this one to me is like in a sense the most objective like in terms of how it's structured editorially and also frankly probably the most flashy editorially like it's the easiest to sort of watch it and see and understand like wow there's some really amazing editorial craft going on here and it really stands out and it's partly again just you know, the structure of the movie, right? You've got an ensemble piece, it's in the title. There's seven main characters and there's actually the eighth because there's the prosecutor. So you've got an ensemble piece and it's like, and yet, you know, editorially, I feel like each of those characters gets their moment and we understand who they are. We understand what they're thinking a little bit. Um, You know, there's a fair amount of plot that has to happen. And then there's also the very flashy editorial structure of these flashbacks, right? We're kind of, constantly being brought back in time and then back into the courtroom. Um, Some of this is happening through, you know, uh, Abby Hoffman's stand-up, some of it's just sort of flashback remembrances, but there's different methodologies of flashing back. So just like, it just looks like this super complicated editorial puzzle. And it's like, you know, as an editor, I love the techniques being used. And I love the fact that you can balance, you know, seven, eight different characters and yet give them all their own moment. Which um, is, It's very well poised and very well done on that level.
2: Obviously, The Trial of the Chicago 7 is a courtroom drama. And as I was thinking about what I thought about it, um, I realized that it was, uh, in terms of editing, one of the movies that it reminded me of is one of my favorite edited movies ever, which won the Academy Award in 1991, which was JFK. Both you know, from historical sources, uh, they incorporate this archival footage, they recreate events, they tackle uh, voluminous coverage of, you know, a single interior space in the courtroom, in addition to, you know, scenes outside the courtroom. And I'm, I'm actually not sure, ultimately, in talking about who to give the award to, whether that's a plus or minus uh, for me, Um since notwithstanding that I think trial of the Chicago seven deserves to be here. Um, at the end of the day, you know what I'm saying? Well, what, what feels like, uh, I don't want to say never before done, but kind of, the, you know, never seen before and new. And, you know, it reminded me of JFK. I think those are big shoes to fill at the end of the day. It fills them. And, and, and Chris, I'm glad you brought up, um, the, uh, the stand-up, because one of the the techniques that I most appreciated uh, was, you know, when the narrative would shift in the same, you know, kind of paragraph among, and I'm sorry, I, having, again, seen it a while ago, even though I saw it twice, because I, I made my wa- wife watch it and I watched it again with her, but, you know, the narrative shifting between the courtroom to the recreated footage and the archival footage and the, um, the, the standup. I mean, this kind of multifaceted narration where you sort of get this dispassionate recounting in court, plus the events themselves, plus the commentary by a central character seamlessly integrated so that you have this um, unified experience as an audience member, that's kind of a, a pretty tall order, uh, both in the writing and the execution. And I, I thought it was really effective here.
1: And Josh, I, I know, like from your experience editing the practice, right? You, you've edited courtroom dramas and things where people are talking super fast and super intelligently. Can you talk a little bit about like the rhythm of this movie? Because it it seemed right to me, but I don't know what it's like to edit that sort of material. Like,
2: how hard yeah, so could... I don't want to. Thank you. Uh, yes, I edited uh, for three seasons the practice, and so I I do have I did spend a lot of time kind of visually in a courtroom. I will say, given you know budgets and stuff, that no doubt trial of the Chicago Seven was another order of magnitude more complex because they probably had more money and there's really more going on. But the challenge is testimony. Is essentially telling a story, and it's a challenge because there's a, there's a meta thing going on because the story of a courtroom drama is the retelling of the story that generally you're telling. So it's the telling of the telling of a story, and keeping that dynamic where you're incorporating both the testimony that's going on, the questioning then you've got all these perspectives, most of which at any given point are silent. You've got judges and you've got jury members and audience members. And and again, probably Chicago seven, there were important people in the the jury, uh, not that they weren't important, but in terms of characters in the film, lots of people all over the place. And you've got to cover them all and integrate them so that. And all the while, as a filmmaker, you're kind of like, well, what's the story that I'm telling and what's the perspective that I want to give the audience and keeping that in mind? So, yeah, it's uh, it's a special challenge, not necessarily greater than other uh, types of editorial challenges. But yeah, uh, and 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 this movie did it fantastically. Yeah,
1: it's sort of firing on all cylinders, I think, from an editorial point of view, just you know, all different forms of the editorial craft that we recognize, sort of rhythm of dialogue, actors' performances, montage, action scenes, courtroom drama, like just had a lot of showy editorial stuff in there that was fun to watch.
0: Trial of the Chicago 7 was also nominated for cinematography. And when we talked about that category last week, it was brought up that Aaron Sorkin, as a writer-director, really emphasizes the writer side of that combination. And that sometimes it looks like there's a tension between what the cinematographer needs to do and what Aaron Sorkin, the writer sort of expects. But from what you guys have described, it doesn't sound like there was that tension between Aaron Sorkin, the writer, and the editing in this case.
1: That's a great question. I mean, I think I mentioned this last year. Like, I I feel that on a really important level that editing is a continuation of the writing process what I've discovered personally is that the issues that I never solved in the writing come up in the editing. Like you're still trying to work on them and solve them. And uh, likewise, the things that really work in the writing, like you're hopefully really nailing in the editing, but this is a great example of like things that were written and that the editor I'm sure was like, was building on them and, and taking them and using them and improving upon them. Like those flashbacks to Abby Hoffman, for example, like that's got to, I assume it's probably in the script on some level that, you know, we went to the, stand-up then, then went further back to show the events that Abby Hoffman was describing in the stand-up at the colleges so those like sort of double flashbacks I'm assuming probably scripted in some way but again to sort of pull that off um, and figure out how to do that and to maybe change them and improve them like I'm sure the editor worked hand in hand there so I, I do think that editing and writing like they do need to work together and it helps if the editor is a good writer as well.
2: Stepping back for a moment from my kind of professional role, such as it is, to sort of my role loving reading about other people talking about film, one of the criticisms of Aaron Sorkin is that he's very writery, and that was nowhere more uh, clear than in one of my favorite shows ever, which was The West Wing, where all of a sudden, I mean, not that not that there haven't been intelligent shows, of course there have been, but, you know, this combination of people just talking a mile a minute and saying things of substance and somehow having, you know, the challenge of the people, not the writer, to keep that moving and exciting, you know, that's a, that's a significant issue. And uh, I've heard people say about or write about this film that it was, you know, to writer or sorkin And I, I just didn't experience it that way. I thought that he, um, look, I, I don't know what his experience as a director is beyond having become one after, you know, he, he became successful as a writer. But insofar as I can theoretically attribute learning to his experience as a writer and seeing his own writing kind of created, I think he's learned a lesson from a lot of the good directors who've Mounted his his material and and editing uh, editors as well, and uh, he he pulls it off here.
1: Yeah, I agree, Josh. And I felt like the editing probably helped a little bit. That each character had a you know different way of talking, a different rhythm of talking, and it didn't feel overly like the writer. I knew it was Aaron Sorkin, but it didn't feel like overly branded by the writer. Like there were smart characters saying smart things, but each one felt appropriate to that character. And I did feel like the rhythm and the pacing was very carefully done in this so that it didn't just feel a mile a minute. Like we had you know, moments of reactions and breaks and times of, of higher and, and sort of lower emotions and faster rhythm and slower rhythm. So just, again, nicely controlled on that level so that it felt a little bit more cohesive.
0: Well, those are our five films. I know, Josh, you made a couple of uh, quick shout-outs earlier, but now let's turn our full attention to any other films you thought uh, the editing was spectacular this year that aren't on this list.
1: Yeah, I like the ones Josh mentioned. The other one that I would like to bring up is Judas and the Black Messiah, which you know I watched and just couldn't quite understand why that one wasn't nominated for editing either. I don't, I don't even know what the rules are for how many you can nominate in a category, but it just seemed, again, like you know, it's nominated for best picture, I think. And it just, it it just worked on so many levels. And as I was watching it, it just, it seemed like it was working on the editorial level so well. I mean, again, just combination of drama, character conflicts, and then just the structures of sort of the action scenes and the tension of like feeling like, you know, people could be shot and killed at any moment or the cops are gonna show up at any moment. Um, Just a lot of different great editorial things going on in that movie. So it stood out to me. It's It's just being incredibly well done again on that level.
2: I am going to um, uh, stick to my earlier point about documentary filmmakers, and obviously I brought up, you know, Palm Springs and Invisible Man, but I want to highlight a few documentaries that I thought were just so well put together in terms of the stories that they were telling. Um, One is Collective, which uh, it was nominated both this year for uh, foreign language film and documentary, which... I don't know if it's happened before. I don't remember it happening, but uh, that was a really, really well put together film. Also, uh, Boys State, I really enjoyed. Um, I'm trying, uh, The Mole Agent, which uh, was like, uh, didn't really come, you know, on my radar until it was nominated as Best Documentary. And I went and, and watched it. And uh, if you haven't seen it, it's really good. And he, again, it's one of those things you watch and you can only imagine the volume of of footage that they had to to deal with. And it all gets put together so beautifully.
1: That's a really good point. I feel like documentaries, like why wouldn't they get nominated in the editing category? Like totally, I support that. Those are great, great suggestions. Uh, one other one quick I'll just mention too that I also really enjoyed the editing was Mank and again you know it's a filmmaker's film right so it's about writing and filmmaking but similarly again just you know, like nicely paced nicely put together i feel like the structure of the movie editorially brought me into sort of gary oldman character's mind and point of view so again it wouldn't surprise me to see it on this
0: list uh, at all it's on a lot of other lists yeah well gentlemen thank you so much for joining me today this has been a lot of fun and it's so much fun thank you (laughs) yeah thank you both guys great the academy awards ceremony is almost upon us and we're still going strong if you're not already subscribing please do it's a great way to catch every episode if you've got feedback you can send email comments to skid s-k-i-d at below the line one word dot biz that's b-i-z Please rate us wherever you get your podcasts. It helps us reach new listeners. And new listeners, check out our website, belowtheline.viz. More than 75 episodes available at some point, I'm sure we talked about something you've seen. If you're on Facebook, you can find photos and other behind-the-scenes materials at Podcast Below the Line. And finally, you can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram. It's at Pod Below the Line. Thanks to Curtis Five for our music and John Wan for our logo. The logo is available on t-shirts, mugs, and stickers at redbubble.com. Once again, thanks for listening. Be safe out there.